You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, also sponsored by DraftKings. And the return we have all been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. Be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right. New users can bet $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round. And if he does, you'll be cashing in $257. Bet a little, win a lot. It's that simple. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend. That's code THPN for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbrook. And on the topic of fists flying, man, oh man, the Edmonton Oilers. They can't get it together. I mean, if you had DraftKings and you loaded up on Montreal Canadiens players, you probably had a good couple of days on Saturday and Monday because, holy crap, the Edmonton Oilers did not look good in either games. And, you know, just going back to Saturday, Carey Price, he's a great goalie, one of the best to ever do it. But they made him look unbeatable, firing shots right into his belly, not getting any rebounds, not really creating any great second-chance opportunities. He did make the big save on Connor McDavid on the breakaway, but holy cow, tough one Saturday night in the Edmonton Oilers. You think going up against Jake Allen in between the pipes might have a better effort, might try to do something a little bit different, but they were not into this one. They they did not come out ready to play the second period. For the majority of it, they only had one shot on net. The shots they got on net weren't contested. We didn't see traffic out in front, and the Edmonton Oilers losing two straight to the Montreal Canadiens. 5-1 on Saturday, 3-1 Monday night, getting outscored 8-2 in total, giving up a couple shorties, just not the performance the Edmonton Oilers wanted to have, dropping to 1-3 and on the season now, and uh, kind of embarrassing. I'm sure if you're listening to this right now, you're probably pretty upset about what happened last night. Not the effort you expect from the Oilers. I believe only three players now with 5-on-5 five five goals. Just not what you thought you'd see from the Edmonton Oilers this season, especially coming off that win against the Vancouver Canucks. Looks like they had things figured out, and that was just not the case. So we're going to recap these two games on the show tonight. We'll talk to Matthew Iwanek of the Dave Jamison Show. You can hear him on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from noon to 2. He was down at Rogers Place for those games, so we'll get his thoughts on it. Also, what's it like being at a game right now in the NHL? Of course, fans are not allowed to attend in Edmonton. So what's it like down at the Ice District? Is it quiet? Is it hearing guys chirp? We'll have a little more fun with Matt Awanek, but we're going to be talking about the Oilers and their play the last two games because it simply has not been good enough. We'll also bring in a former Edmonton Oiler, Kyle Brodziak. Played over 900 games in the NHL, 245 with the Edmonton Oilers on two separate occasions. He was drafted by the team back in 2003 in the seventh round. And man, the guy had one hell of a career. So we're going to talk to Kyle Brodziak about that. Some of his favorite memories from playing with Edmonton teammates. Things to do in the city. Also, he's taking part in the world's longest game. A great fundraiser for cancer research. So we'll get the info on that also. And of course, the Oilers are back in action. As bad as it was the last couple games... 
There is games on the horizon as well. They take on the Toronto Maple Leafs Wednesday and Friday. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, they've won two straight. They're rolling. They seem to have things figured out. We'll talk to Andy Petrillo of TSN 1050 out in Toronto. She hosts Leafs Lunch, which you can also watch on TSN 4 and get her thoughts on the Maple Leafs as they prepare to come to Edmonton. But first things first, let's just get into it. Let's talk to Matthew Iwanek about the rough performance by the Edmonton Oilers the last two games. Matt, thanks for doing this. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing slow enough for for tonight. We'll just say that. <laughs> you are doing better than Edmonton Oilers fans, I assume, after two straight loss to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Um, as I as I record this, I can see Hernan Salas doing the post game show at the TSN 1260 studios, and like his head's just back and forth. You can tell he's fired up, and he's kind of the voice of the fan base right now because coming off that game last week against the Vancouver Canucks. I did not see this coming, where the Edmonton Oilers would lose two straight to the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think anyone really saw this coming, especially with how they won that second game against the Vancouver Canucks, where Connor McDavid was Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl was great. They got great production from Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and it looked like the power play had it figured out, because in game one, the power play wasn't that good. Their first opportunity was absolutely atrocious, and they got better throw. But then come game two, it looked like that power play from last season, the fourth best of all time. Um, and then Montreal comes to town, and look, if the Oilers going to go and win every series, no. But you would have thought that you'd have better performances and be able to walk away with at least two points. Um, but a team only scored two goals against this Habs team over two games. Uh, they let in a whole bunch of goals. And, you know, when it comes to the game tonight on Monday night, you have seven opportunities on the power play and you don't manage a goal. You go back to back to back on the power play in that first period and you can't get a goal with the players that this team has. It's, I could imagine and I understand exactly where Oilers fans are coming from with their frustration because this team's better than what we've seen for three out of the four games and they're just not playing that way. They're just coming out flat to too, too early. Like at this point in the season, you'd hope that there'd be a little more fight in them. Um, and yet we're four games into the season and we're already going, oh boy, what's wrong with this team? Well, Matt, you are down at the Ice District tonight and uh, 0 for 7 on the power plays, one thing, but also giving up two shorthanded goals, something we didn't see a whole lot of last year. From what you saw tonight, what was going wrong for the Oilers' power play? It seemed like part of it might have been that they were just trying to overpass or something. You know, that they're just trying to get one too many passes in there. Or at the same time, at times, it feels like it's just they're telegraphing exactly what they're going to do. And and there's no movement, and they're not being as creative and as skilled as they were last year. It's You know, you got Tyson Berry at the point, you're thinking bringing him in, the one thing that he brings to this team that Clef bombed into on the power play was a nice shot from the point, a nice bomb, a nice one-time option. And we really haven't seen them try to use that. We haven't seen Tyson Berry really let loose. So I think there's just a few things that... that it's just maybe a little too predictable, and maybe this is kind of expected because you give coaches a chance to spend an off season to dissect things. I don't care what sport it is; they're going to do a good job of trying to, you know, figuring out ways to stop you. So maybe there's a little bit of credit that has to be given to the Habs, but I think the Oilers just are trying to be a little too cute too often, and that's what's hurting them on the power play right now. Hundred percent, I agree. Like I, I watched the game Saturday, watched the game tonight, and there's always just that extra pass. It almost seems. Necessary, looking for the perfect shot. Going back to Saturday, like Carey Price had the big save on Connor McDavid on the breakaway, but other than that, I didn't think he was really tested. Like a lot of shots were coming in right on the crest of his jersey, sitting there, no rebound. You're not getting those dirty goals that they need to get because, 
like I've said in the past here on this podcast, I mean, outside of McDavid and Drysaddle, maybe Nuge, you're not going to get the beautiful goals all the time. They need to get these disgusting, sloppy goals from that bottom six. And maybe when just to back to the, the power play part of that too, it's maybe this is this team is just showing how much they needed James Neal have him out there on the power play as opposed to Alex Chase on a guy who, you know, from last year, a guy that should have been a 20-goal scorer had COVID not hit and he not got injured. Uh, he got a lot of his goals in the power play from being that guy that's just right in front of the net and scoring those dirty goals. And he's the type of guy that's going to get those for that unit while, you know, the Drysdale McDavid are going to score their highlight real goals and be on Center all the time. <laughs> the other time they were having success was because James Neal's out there and putting in those dirty ones. And, and, you know, like, I'll go back to game one, I believe it was, and Alex Chase on, like, he had like three or four really good chances on the power play, and he couldn't do anything with them. The puck just died on his stick almost in those plays. So maybe part of the power play's issues right now is the fact that it's that fifth person. Alex Chason seems to be not that guy. I don't know if you put in Yamamoto and Puli Yarvi, rotate them, or just one of those guys for now, but it seems like maybe the power play is missing James Neal. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask next. I mean, is it just personnel? Uh, JP, he's got the frame to get in front of the net and do some work. Can he do it? We'd have to kind of find out and see if that's a, an option. Uh, James Neal, you know, I've heard he's going to be traveling with the team on the road trip, so hopefully they'll get him back soon. But obviously just not the start that the Edmonton Oilers wanted going back-to-back against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh Going on the defensive side, I mean, we know that Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones were pulled from the lineup in this game. Uh, kind of a message sent to the team, I think, as a whole. You can't change the goalie because you don't have anyone else to put in there. Up front, you're probably going to not make too many changes. But uh, in hindsight, do you think Dave Tippett regrets that move? Or do you think, you know, he'll stand by it and say that it had to be done? I think he'll stand by and say it had to be done. And, and I'm not completely opposed to that either. Like, I think you have it best. This wasn't the message to Ethan Barron, Caleb Jones. It was a message to the whole team. Team defense has not been there through, you know, the early part of this season. And that's something they were stressing from the playoff bubble once they lost to Chicago. They kept talking about team defense, team defense, team defense, defense. And I think a little bit was Barron needs to be better, Jones needs to be better. And maybe for two young guys who are developing at times, just pulling them out and letting them watch the game from the pass box, I don't think is a bad thing. But I think it's also a message to everyone else that you have to be better. And and you can't just go and put a blender in right away and change every line on all your forwards and all your defensive pairings. I think he started with the defense here because when you look at the offense, while they're not scoring goals and they're not getting the five-on-five goals especially, at least they were you know, getting shots and there were some opportunities. So maybe Dave Tippett was hoping that they could just break through with that and then he doesn't have to tinker with the forward lines uh, and he just had to deal with the defense. But uh, So I'll go and say I don't think he regrets that. But now I wonder as we go towards Toronto on Wednesday, how much does he now start looking at the forward line and try to start tinkering that? I would think Ethan Bear is going to draw back in for sure. Like You can't let him sit that much. I think that could hurt his confidence. Um, but I think there's going to be more changes that Dave Pippen needs. I know it's a long season in a sense. You know, It's not an 82. It's a 56, and we're only through four. But at the same time, you can't let this season slip away, and you can't get in three, four-game losing streaks. And right now they're on a two-game losing streak, and they need to get out of this quick. And Toronto's not an easy opponent. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. The Maple Leafs have won two straight, so that's not going to be an easy game, and they've got such a dangerous offense. Like, you just look through uh, the lineup. If they're just to roll lines, there's no real break up against the Toronto Maple Leafs. For the Oilers, though, uh, something I've kind of seen just on Twitter throughout the game, I know the game just ended a few minutes ago, so we haven't had too much time to digest it, but do you think there's any consideration that you go back to Leon Dreisaitl, Kyler Yamamoto, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins and take him off that top line? 
Well, you talked to the guy that felt that that should have been the line to start the season. I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't under, I, I didn't understand it going into the bubble, but I, I gave Dave Tippett the benefit of the doubt, and we saw that line get put back together seven minutes to go in Game Four against Chicago, and you saw the ice tilt into the Blackhawks zone, like they, they, they were just put back together immediately. That chemistry came back, and I thought at that moment, there's no way you're starting the season without those three together, and in such a short season, a 56 game sprint. I would want to start with a line that I know is good. They were in 2020. They were arguably the best line in hockey, if not the best line in hockey. I would have one consistent line while I tinker with the other three of them, Dave Tippett, with this short season. Because when that line's out there, not only can they put up points, but they can also create that energy and that buzz for the rest of the lineup when they go over the boards. And so I was completely surprised that he didn't start with that to start this season, where instead of just tinkering with three lines he chose to tinker with four lines and I don't care that Cahoon and Drysdale have connections from Germany and they played together world juniors in under 15 this is the NHL and you, you broke up one of the best lines in hockey that I think you have to go back to it I think you have to put them back out there because what they can do on the ice and what they've shown they can do on the ice is completely change games and while you play mess around with who's going to play with Connor McDavid and you mess around with your you know fourth line you at least then have that one line out there that you know every time they go over the boards, they're a threat to score, they're a difficult uh, challenge for the opposing defense, and you've got to go back to that. But I'm going to say I don't think we're going to see that on Wednesday because even tonight we saw Drysettle get put back with McDavid, and we never saw that line get put together at any point. The fact that Dave Tipp was willing to put McDavid back with Drysdale before putting that line back together, I think shows that I, I don't think he's ready to go back to it. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Because, again, when that line was together from December 31st through to the end of the NHL season before COVID hit and all, they were the best line in hockey. They were, I, I, Nugent Hopkins was over a point of game player. McDavid or, uh, Drysdale was a point, over a point of game player. Yamamoto was doing some great things. And their record showed it too. They were winning more often than not while they were just that line. But for some reason, Dave Tippett doesn't want to go to that and it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like the, the line was so good and there was just that reluctancy from Coach Tippett for some reason. It's frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating for those who cover the team. Like, why, why the reluctancy? Why is he so hesitant to do so? Um, another guy that uh, can be a little bit frustrating at times is Zach Cassian. First things first, congratulations to he and his wife on the birth of their second child. That is very, very good news. But you look at the stat line tonight, zero, 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 two hits, nothing else. Like he's on that first line to try to do the dirty work for Connor McDavid, maybe create some space, throw the body around. Has he done that in your opinion? You want to know something? I feel like I've, you know, he didn't play Saturday, obviously, and you've referenced yeah. why. But I feel like there's a lot, a lot of those games. I don't even notice that casting out there. That I, I don't think he has done much, and, and he's the one guy. I wonder. I thought about this after the bubble, and I, I think it would still apply now. I feel like he's the type of player that needs a crowd. That he really, you know, gets going based off of the, the emotion of the fan base. That when he goes lays a big hit and the crowd gets going, that fires him up a little bit more. And the fact that there's no crowd going, I wonder if that's impacting him. But to answer your question, like right now for me, 
I really haven't noticed him much. I don't think he's doing his job. I don't think he, his play is, is deserving of staying on that top line. The only difference is I don't know who else you put up there. That I just haven't liked what I've seen from Zach Cass. And I think a lot of people may look at you could almost go back to when he got that contract back at the end of January, early February, that it just hasn't been there. Uh, what would you have made of his play so far? Well, and that's the problem. I mean, I haven't noticed him. And that's exactly right. why I asked you, because when he's out there, I mean... He, you're playing with Connor McDavid. Some might say that's that's a tough thing to do, but for me, it's kind of like go out there, bring the energy, uh, get in there on the forecheck, make make the defenseman on the opposing team hesitant to go into the corners with you, and uh, let Connor McDavid go in there, pick up the puck, and do what he does. Then you go to the net. Like to me, it's it's not that hard of a job, but he he doesn't seem to be out there really uh, showing himself off and. One of the things I do like about Zach Cassian is I think that he's got the skill set that you can move him throughout the lineup. So if he were to be put down, say, to a third line, I think he's a guy who can inject energy there, but he's just not doing it on the first line. And maybe the problem is there's no one that Dave Tippett wants to put up on the top line outside of Zach Cassian, which could be an issue with depth, but it's it's just not working right now. I mean, they're not finding ways to score goals. So I think you have to look to change because you don't want to get into shootout with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know that's probably not the best strategy, but they've got to find some way to generate some five-on-five, five and it's just not working right now. Uh, going back on the defensive side tonight, like I said, we they, we saw the changes. William Legison gets in, Chris Russell. Uh, thoughts on their performance tonight? I really like Chris Russell's game, actually. I thought he was the, the, the steady veteran that you need out there. And I, I was, I, I like the idea of that pairing. I, I still like the pairing after watching what I've seen of him and Barry because it gives Barry the chance to jump up in the rush. And then you got that good, reliable defenseman, uh, to stay back home. Um, you know, so I, I don't mind seeing Chris Russell stay in. I really didn't notice too much of William Lagesson. Um, and he's a guy that I think is going to draw on at times this year. But, uh, you know, with what a weird year it's going to be, you're going to see a lot of changing parts when it comes to the sense. So I think he's just the guy that's going to draw on every so often. And for what he gives you on those nights that you're going to throw him out there, I, I don't think it's it's bad. I, I don't, won't look at William Lagesson and, and point out the fact that the Oilers lost tonight is anything due to him. Uh, he's also a guy that I'm not going to sit there and go, well, he definitely deserves to stay in the lineup. He's earned his spot on the top six or anything like that. He's just an interchangeable part to the bottom or to the, the sixth defenseman to me that when you need a rest or any sort of change, yeah, you can draw on and he'll be okay, but uh, nothing too special. And for Chris Russell, again, like I said, I actually really liked his game and that steady, just veteran presence back there. And uh, I'll be intrigued to see if he stays in the lineup and I won't be surprised if he does. How about uh, Miko Koskinen between the pipes? Saturday yeah. night, he makes uh, 31 saves on 36 shots, gives up a shorty as well as a goal on the power play tonight. Not as busy, well, 34 shots, uh, makes 31 saves, also gives up another shorty, another one on the power play. What have you thought of him, and how much does this team miss Mike Smith? Oh, this team's going to miss Mike Smith, I think, quite a bit, just because uh, Nico Koskin, to me, is a guy that whenever he gets the ball and runs with it for a while, or is told to run with it for a while, he always seems to drop the ball. And when he gets pushed or he's challenged, that's when he's at his best. And the fact that there's going to be no one pushing him for a bit, that worries me. Uh, tonight's game, you know, that first goal was a bad goal. You can't let that one in. But after that, he settled in, and I thought he did really well. And, you know, he made some really good saves, and he was the reason the Oilers got to stay in that and stay in the game and have a chance that, you know, they scored a couple of power play goals or something to tied it or won this hockey game that I, I thought he played well enough. But the thing with Miko Koskin, I think, is, is he's the type of goalie that's going to play pretty good. I don't think you're ever going to get great from Miko Koskin. And I don't think you're ever going to get that exceptional goaltending for a long stretch. You're just going to get really good. 
And for a team that's trying to make the playoffs, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think you need then a good second option for some nights to give him that rest. But a team that has higher hopes, which I don't think the Oilers are there yet, he's never going to be that guy. And then just that first goal is going to show it. He's going to let those goals in every so often. You're just going to go, that's ugly. Or he can't do that one. Um, but he's a guy that will settle in and, and find a way to keep teams in the Oilers somewhat in it. Um, so, like... It's just so difficult because I, I don't know what the Oilers can do now to give him that rest. Like he, he is going to eventually run a little thin. I know that they they don't have back to back till the end of the month, um, but he he just isn't that goalie that that is going to take that that ball and run with it. And I wonder if or when those wheels are going to completely fall out, and that's when the Oilers are going to be in big trouble. And that's why we're all watching that waiver wire and thought Aaron Dell would have been perfect for this team, a guy that you can at least throw out there for a couple times. Um, but as for tonight. It wasn't Miko Koskinen's fault. I will say that. That first goal is not good, but he then kept them in that, and it was the rest of the team that failed him. Yeah, that first goal, he'd like that one back under the right arm. The second goal, the review on that to me was hilarious. Like, Devin Shore just kind of gets in the crease and lays there, and they want to try to play it off on Jeff Petrie, who really did nothing. But, I mean, does nobody follow Shea Weber there? Like, he's behind the net. <laughs> Jeff Petrie just crashed the net. Why are two two Montreal Canadiens crashing the net, and uh, you know no one takes Shea Weber? I just don't really get that. No, it's easy to forget about Shea Weber. He's <laughs> an easily forgettable hockey player. No one knows about Shea Weber. <laughs> it's, was it like he, he's behind the net? Don't worry about him. He's not that good. <laughs> I'm glad they also though, gave the those Habs that goal because that was a bad. <laughs> To immediately wave that no goal, and then everyone watched the replay. And I think I don't think there's an Oilers fan out there that watched that and went, "No, no, that's that's goaltender interference." That be, I think everyone unanimously went, "No, that should be a goal." Yeah, like like Shore was behind Petrie and still found his way. And yeah, that was a weird goal. Weird that the uh, the referee was so of matter of fact as well too. Like he just yeah. saw him saying, "No goal, no goal." When clearly it it clearly was a goal. Uh, Matt, thanks again for doing this today. Very quickly. What do you see happening in the next two games against the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I I will say this about the Leafs. They're a good hockey team, but they're also a team that knows how to give up goals and you're going to entertaining hockey games. But I think, I, I don't know if, how much how many points Oilers are going to walk away with out of the four that are available to them in the next two games. But I think we're going to see an Oilers offense that's going to come out in both of those games because I think the matchup is just there. that They'll be able to find a way to beat Freddie Anderson. They'll be able to find a way uh, to, to get past the, the Toronto defense. And I think we're going to have a couple of really high-scoring, entertaining hockey games, whether they win or not. I don't know. I won't make those predictions just yet. But I, I think we're at least, you know, whenever those two teams meet, it seems to be very exciting, especially with the McDavid versus Matthews. So uh, I'm excited for it, and I think Oilers fans are going to be highly entertained on those two nights. Oh, I hope so. I hope so, Maddie. Thanks a lot for doing this tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show later down the road. Anytime, Connor. That is Matthew Awanek of TSN 1260. He is a half of the Dave Jameson, which you can hear on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday. From noon until two, you can also give him a follow on Twitter at Matthew Iwanek. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, just not a good performance by the Edmonton Oilers on a Monday night against the Montreal Canadiens. They'll try to regroup going forward, but really disappointing game for the Oilers. We'll see what they can do coming up on Wednesday when they take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right now, though, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, earlier on today, I had a conversation with former NHLer, former Edmonton Oiler, over 900 games played. 245 with the Edmonton Oilers. He was drafted back in 2003 in the seventh round. Kyle Brodziak joins us. Kyle, how are you doing? 
I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, not a problem. We appreciate you doing it. And uh, just basically, just to let you know, we're, we're trying to talk to a bunch of former members of the Oilers to get their experience with the club and how it went, and just to share some of the lighter, more fun moments with the team. Uh, lots of stuff for us to get to here. Let's just start off with it, though. You you grew up in St. Paul. Were you an Oilers fan as a kid? Uh, it's kind of a funny story there, actually. You know, I, I, I don't... I wouldn't say I was uh, a huge Oilers fan as a kid. Uh, definitely early on I was. Uh, I, you know, probably my first ever memory of watching hockey was uh, when they won the Stanley Cup um, uh, when Mark Messier was the captain the, the last year they had won there. Uh, and then after, you know, as I got a little bit older, I, uh, I think I got a, a bribed a little bit by my <laughs> uncle to be a New York Islanders fan. So I know I went through a stretch of, uh, of being an Islander fan for a few years, but, uh, you know, as I as I got older and uh, a little wiser, I, I moved on from that. <laughs> but you do remember the Oilers winning the Cup back in 1990? Just a, a little bit, yeah. Like I, I I do remember watching on TV as a you know I think I was only four or five years old, maybe five years old when when that happened. So I mean, my memory wasn't great, but I do remember seeing um, you know seeing some of the celebrations after they had won the Cup that year. See, I'm a little bit envious. Like, my memories were from the mid-90s. I remember guys like Shane Corris and Frederick Olson, like, never really great teams. Later on, obviously, they had a fun couple runs going up against the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche, but never really got that Stanley Cup of feelings. So I'm a little envious of you there. But, uh, Kyle, let's talk about your hockey career. Obviously, you play for the Moose Jaw Warriors. You have a great career there. And then heading into 2003, you are selected by the Oilers in the seventh round of the draft. Going into that, like, what was the process like entering the NHL draft? Obviously, now we see the the combine and the workouts, but what was it like back in two thousand three? Oh, it was quite a bit different for me. Um, you know, as a as a seventeen year old, I um, I did enter the draft, uh, but did not get drafted as uh, you know as my first year of eligibility. Uh, but then I, I went into my eighteen year old year and had a uh, had a really good year in Moose Jaw. And ended up re-entering the draft, um, and you know, obviously, at that point when you're your second year eligibility, you don't, you never really know how that's going to go. Um, so I, I didn't I didn't have to go to a combine, or I didn't have to go to the NHL combine or do any of the interview type of stuff. I really didn't know if I was going to get drafted or not, but uh, yeah, thankfully, I you know I did. Uh, I did get drafted, and uh, you know, and luckily it was with the Oilers that year. So, um, yeah, it was uh, a different process for me than a lot of guys. But um, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll still take it any day. So, what was the draft experience like? I mean, who gave you the phone call? Who'd you talk to? And were you just hanging out with friends, family, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, actually, it's kind of a funny story there too. I, um, you know, as you know, not knowing if I was getting drafted or not. I decided that I was going to go fishing that weekend with a, a couple of buddies. And, uh, we went, uh, you know, a little bit up north into the country a bit and uh, didn't have cell phone service. So I really didn't find out I got drafted until Sunday. Uh, so I'm sure the, you know, the Oilers were a little, uh, you know, they, I'm sure it wasn't the greatest first impression of me to make when I, uh, you know, they, they drafted me and then probably couldn't get a hold of me for the next 24 hours. So. Uh, yeah, that's 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 my draft story. <laughs> so, who was the first person to tell you? Did you get back and have cell reception and see, or did you get home and have your parents tell you? How did uh, that happen? As soon as I got into cell reception, I, I remember getting a voicemail from my mom. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I had found out originally. 
Uh, and now the how the rest of the day went, I don't really remember. Um, I'm sure I drove home. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure I would have talked on the phone with uh, with Kevin Lowe at the time as well. Uh, and then I found out that night or that day that I had to report to uh, to Sherwood Park for a, a tri- kind of a I guess it's a conditioning camp or uh, you know kind of a rookie camp the next day. At, uh, on Monday morning, so that was uh, that was definitely a quick turnaround. So, at your first ever NHL camp, were you then 19 years old? I I would have been, yeah, I would have been 19. Yeah. 19. So, what was it like your first NHL camp, being around some obviously some longtime NHLers? Kind of an eye-opening experience. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely eye-opening. Uh, you know, I know I remember being you know pretty nervous. Uh, you're kind of starstruck a bit. You don't really know what to expect. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of things. That, you know, you're obviously a little scared of, of coming in, and, and you know, you're on the ice with the best players in the world. And you know, as a 19 year old kid, that's uh, yeah, it's 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 a little bit overwhelming. But uh, you know, that's why you have uh, you know, there's a lot of good people in place that that help uh, help us out with that. So um, you know, definitely thankful for that. And, uh, yeah, just as you go through it, you know, the next year was uh, probably a little easier and the, and the year after a little easier than that. So you just got to take it and uh, take it in stride and, and just, uh, yeah, you, it, it, you get com- more comfortable the more time you put into it. So your first year of professional hockey, you're with the Edmonton Roadrunners in the AHL. And just looking back at the team, I mean, you guys had some pretty good players that went on to have very good NHL careers. What's your memories from playing with the Roadrunners for that one year? Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, I thought we were a pretty decent team as well. Um, we were pretty much in the, in the thick of it, I, I think, until uh, late February, March is when we kind of tailed off. We, um, you know, we didn't have, uh, I remember we had a 20-some game road trip, or 20-some day road trip, sorry, uh, in March. Uh, and that's kind of when the wheels fall off or fell off for our team there. Um, I remember just, you know, a good experience, good guys on the team. Um, you know, I was good buddies with uh, Rocky Thompson. Uh, he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, so he was uh, he was a big, big help for me uh, being my first year pro. Um, you know, and he'd gone through, he'd gone through a lot of stuff himself and, and uh, came out on the right side of a lot of things. So he was, he was an awesome mentor for me. Um, yeah. And other than that, I, you know, it's, it's a little. It's kind of a long time ago already. I don't really remember a whole lot. Um, just you know, first year pro. It, it probably took me a little while to get uh, to get my feet wet. I remember you know going through some struggles early on, and, uh, but I do remember by the end of the year, uh, kind of starting to find my game again. Um, and yeah, it just uh, you know it was a little disappointing at the end of the year, but. Uh, you know, a lot of things, uh, a lot of positives taken for sure for uh, being my first year pro. And that was a unique year because there was a lot of good NHL players playing in the AHL, I believe, due to the lockout. The Oilers, of course, had the Roadrunners playing at Roger uh, Rexall at the time. But do you have any kind of the essential AHL story from maybe being on the road, on the bus, anything like that? Oh, um, trying to think. That I, You know, I remember it was it was a that was a crazy travel year. Uh, probably the most uh, travel that, I, that I've ever been a part of. Uh, you know, Edmonton Roadrunners, we were in a division. I, uh, the closest place I remember would have probably been Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba Moose. Um, 
but I remember pretty much every time we we uh, leave for a road trip, it was we were flying to Toronto, which is a you know, four-hour flight, and then from there you either go to Rochester, Syracuse. Um, who else was in in the division? I remember, yeah, it's just the travel. The travel was crazy that year. Um, yeah, I can't even remember who else was. Uh, I remember we had a few trips out to St. John's. Um, so that was uh, that was first time there. Uh, that was a good experience. Um, but yeah, on the other side of the country. So uh, yeah, just a lot of travel. I don't I can't really remember any good stories. Um, but yeah, I, did, I just remember the you know there was uh, it was a lot of travel that year. So the next year you spend with the Iowa Stars, you end up playing 55 games, scoring 31 points. The following season, or sorry, I guess during that season, you actually spent 10 games with the Oilers, and that was the year that they went to the Stanley Cup Finals ended up losing to the Carolina Hurricanes. But what was it like being around that team, and could you ever have thought that they would have the run that they had later on in the season? Yeah, you know, I, I, I it was, it was, Unreal. I, I couldn't believe, uh, to be honest, when I when I got called up, I I know that they were dealing with some injuries, uh, you know, especially at the center position. Uh, I was pretty surprised to get called up uh, the two times that I did. I, I didn't think I was playing, I guess, my best hockey. Uh, but obviously, at the same time, I'm extremely thankful to get called up and and uh, did every, you know, tried to make the best of it as I could. Um, yeah, I remember Mike. Mike Pekka was actually a big, uh, you know, he was a big help for me. Um, you know, as a, as a young guy getting called up, you don't really expect the older guys to to kind of help you out. But he was a guy that, uh, you know, he was easy to talk to, easy to easy to deal with. Uh, you know, taught me some things in the faceoff circle. Um, you know, he yeah, he was he was definitely a big help and. Um, yeah, but to say you know to say I could have predicted them going all the way to the to the Stanley Cup final that year, uh, I don't think I could have I could have predicted that. But uh, you know what, they made some uh, they made some really good moves at the deadline that that you know helped round the team out, and um, you know they they were just uh, you know they they caught fire at the right time, and uh, yeah, it was it was an exciting run. Your first full season with the club, 2007-2008, I gotta say the one thing that always stood out to me, well not always, but originally stood out to me, was the number 51. Is, is that a request you put in for that number? No, no, I didn't, uh, you know, I, as you probably know, I, you know, a, a young guy coming in, you don't really have, uh, they don't really ask you what number you want to be, so, uh, that was the number I was given in camp, and, you know, thankfully I made the team, and I just kinda, uh, just kinda rolled with it after that. When you look at that team, I mean, some some great players, obviously, Al Shamsky, Sean Horkov kind of leading the way, but you had a young Sam Gagne, Andrew Cogliano, Dustin Penner there. Heading into that season, it was following, obviously, the long cup run that they had a couple years later, but did you expect that team to compete maybe a little bit better than you guys did? Uh, yeah, I, you know what, it's, it's tough to say again. I'm, you know, I'm being a young guy, I'm just coming into the league, so I'm, you know, I, I'm just thankful to be there trying to play my best to stay on the team i uh i at that point didn't really know much about the rest of the league and uh the other teams in the league to to really have an opinion on that but um you know it, we, i don't think you know we got off to a uh, not a very good start um uh, was it i'm trying to think we did have a good start but then we we tailed off uh for a little while and kind of uh for the next few months just kind of hovered around there and 
Uh, I remember we got we we got really hot. Um, I think it would have been right after the trade deadline, uh, sometime late February, early March. We we went on a, a really good run and and basically clawed our way right back into the mix. Um, ended up, I think we ended up falling one point short of the playoffs, which. Uh, you know, if you would have said that a month earlier, uh, it, it would be pretty surprising. So uh, it was definitely a, a really cool experience to go through that with the guys where uh, it just felt like every game, we, you know, we were everybody was clicking, playing their best. And, uh, yeah, too bad we couldn't have put, uh, put it together a, a couple weeks earlier than that. I'm not going to lie. I remember that run. That was a, a fun group to watch down the stretch there, just trying to claw back into the playoff picture. Uh, Kyle Brodziak joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. I want to ask you about playing in Rexall Place. Uh, I know Jason Strudwick, uh, who I work with on the Jason Greger Show, has some fun stories about walking out to the rink from the room, walking past the fans. How was that for you? And, and did you ever get a little bit fed up with some of the things you heard coming from fans who might have had a few too many pops? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, so as a younger kid growing up, that's, you know, that's the rink that I went to to watch Oiler games. So, uh, to get a chance to play there was, was incredible. Um, yeah, once in a while, you, you know, if the team wasn't playing well or, or you're having a, a bit of a tough night, there were some things said that you probably didn't want to hear, but, uh, but that's, you know, that's part of being a pro. You, you have to learn how to deal with those things and, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's some, you know, some times that you're, you get a little frustrated hearing, you know, hearing people say some things, but, uh, yeah, you just forget about it. You gotta move on. You can't listen, listen to it too much. Uh, your first stint with the club. Did you have any favorite line mates that you like to play with? Uh, yeah, I, you know, the, when we went on that run, uh, I was playing with Curtis Glencross and Zach, uh, Stortini and, uh, just the three of us together seemed to, we seemed to play really well together. Um, uh, yeah, we just we just seem to click. Uh, so I would say, what's that? Sorry. Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say that. Just I think you know, early on in my career, those those two guys were uh, you know we played together pretty much you know right from the deadline on, and and we clicked right away. So uh, yeah, just too you know kind of unfortunate that uh, we weren't able to to continue on the next year, but uh, that's uh, you know that's part of pro hockey. I've got to ask you, uh, Struddy was a good guy in the room. That's kind of the report we get from anyone who ever played with him. Do you have a favorite Jason Strudwick story? Oh, I, you know what? I have a terrible memory with stories. Uh, I, I can't think of any, any good story off the top of my head. Uh, but I will tell you, he's a great guy to have in the dressing room. Uh, just always keeping it light, always, uh, you know, always joking around. He's got lines. He's got a line for every different situation. I think, uh, just you know, just one of those guys that, that that's uh, uh, a treat to have in the dressing room and, and as a teammate. So, uh, yeah, nothing but good things to say. How was Craig McTavish as a head coach for you? You know what? Really good. Really good. Um, I, I just actually d- did an interview the other day uh, where I was was talking about Mac T and um, you know, one thing I I, I will say is I. I wish I would have listened a little better uh, when I had him as a head coach, uh, because I found out, you know, years down the road, uh, a lot of the things that he was trying to teach me and help me with, um, you know, those are the things that came true. And you know, I, I think I, if I would have did a, you know, a little better job of, uh, you know, uh, 
making those points that he was trying to drill home, uh, you know, listening to those a little better, uh, things probably could have been a little easier. So I will say that he was, uh, you know, he did a lot to help me. Kyle, let's go back to 2009 when you were traded to the Minnesota Wild. How did that whole process shake down, and how did you find out that you'd been moved? I found out because I, I got a call from my agent. Um, so the week prior, uh, we had been trying to negotiate uh, a new contract with the Oilers. Uh, it just seemed like we weren't getting anywhere. Uh, so that's when kind of the, the you know, a red flag was kind of, uh, kind of thrown up there to see, you know, between my agent and I were, you know, something, something might be going on here. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I would say it's, I would say it's still surprising when you find out, um, you know, I, I think it was a Saturday morning, uh, during the draft is when I got, uh, when I got the call, I was actually headed out to go golfing uh, with a few buddies and I got a call on my phone that, I had been traded to Minnesota, and uh, the next call after I talked to my agent was uh, Chuck Fletcher, who had just become the, the GM in Minnesota, um, who I had known from playing in Wilkes-Barre uh, a few years prior. He was the assistant GM in Pittsburgh, so uh, we had a previous relationship. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, you find out uh, usually either uh, – um, yeah, either agent or, or one of the general managers calls to, uh, to let you know. So that's, uh, that's how I found that out. And when that happens, I mean, what goes through you just kind of emotionally? Are you pissed off that the team's got rid of you, or are you looking to the Minnesota Wild as a chance kind of for a fresh start? Yeah, uh, definitely a little. You know, you're, when you find out, you're, you're not happy about it, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I definitely did not want to get traded uh, from the Oilers. It was, uh, you know, I was living, it was perfect, uh, you know, being from here, uh, having the chance to play at home. Uh, I didn't want to move anywhere and, and you know, start a, uh, you know, basically start everything all over again. But uh, but at the same time, you realize, you're, you're, you know, you have to go through it. So um, I knew there was going to be a lot of good things uh, for sure, uh, having you know, having that familiarity. Uh, the head coach was uh, Todd Richards, who was my, uh, he was my head coach in Wilkes-Barre as well. So uh, we had a good relationship together. Uh, you know, he knew a lot about my game and, and, uh, and he liked my game. So, uh, so there was, you know, there was a lot of things to look forward to as well. Uh, you know, going to, going to a place with, uh, with, with at least some familiarity. Uh, you know, there wasn't, you know, I obviously had to learn a new city, uh, you find a new place to live, uh, those sorts of things. But, uh, but those are the types of things you just take in stride. And, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, just a, kind of a whirlwind, I guess, for, for a while after that. So you go to Minnesota, and obviously there's a big hockey culture there. What was it like in terms of, I guess, popularity from the fan base going from Edmonton to Minnesota? Yeah, it was, you know what, uh, probably... Oh, it's close. It is for sure close. Um, you know, that Minnesota is a crazy hockey market. Uh, it was an awesome place to play. Uh, the city was great. Um, you know, they, um, yeah, they, they love their hockey there. Uh, you know, being the, you know, I guess the climate is, is pretty similar. So uh, they're the same as us where, you know, they grew up skating on outdoor rinks, uh, skating on frozen lakes and frozen ponds. And uh, they love the game, uh, you know, Almost, I guess, you know, probably just as much as, uh, as we do up here in Canada. So uh, I really, you know, we really enjoyed our time. My wife and I uh, spent six years there and 
uh, just really enjoyed everything about playing and, and living there. So, yeah, like you said, you spent six years with the Wild, and you spent three years with the St. Louis Blues organization. In 2018, 2019, you come back to the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, what made you want to come back to the Oilers? Oh, just a lot of things. I mean, you look at the, the high-end talent the team has. Um, you know, I thought I could come be, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a more of a, a solid figure in, in the bottom six, and, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I don't think I played as, as well as I anticipated or as, as well as I could have, uh, could have been playing. But, you know, there was a lot of things that, uh, you know, having that opportunity to play with some of those guys and, um, you know, knowing that, you know, you have some of the, some, some of the high end talent like that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely disappointing. And, you know, at the end of the year to not, uh, to not, you know, produce as well uh, as as the team as you know myself and the team could have, but um, you know that's uh, unfortunately that's the way it goes. And uh, yeah, but you know, besides that, just having a chance to you know come home again, and I pretty much knew that uh, you know after uh, after signing that contract that probably was going to be you know I was going to be pretty close to being done with hockey after that. And, to have a chance to wind down your career in, in your hometown is uh, it was definitely a dream come true. I want to ask you, uh, when you were playing with the St. Louis Blues and you guys saw the Oilers on the schedule, what went into maybe a pregame meeting, maybe you're watching film when it came to Connor McDavid? Oh, there's a, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can really do or talk about. It's, um, yeah, it's He's uh, he's on a, a whole nother level, that's for sure. Uh, it's, sometimes it feels like he's impossible to de- to defend. So uh, really, you got to be very uh, you know very cautious when he's on the ice. Um, I was the type of guy that wasn't who's probably not going to see him very much five on five. Uh, it was more of a penalty killing role. So you're you know watching how they do the uh, how the how the team worked the power play, but. Um, but yeah, he's you know he's kind of one of those guys in uh, in a class of his own where uh, there's even no matter how well you defend, uh, sometimes there's just not much more you can do. When you join the Oilers and you know you get to training camp and see him, was there anything about his game that surprised you? Maybe you didn't know that he did until you actually were on the same team as him. Uh, yeah, actually, the thing that probably surprised me the most is uh, I would say his his strength. Um, you know, he, he he doesn't. There's a lot of guys you play with who you look at them and you just know that they're extremely strong. Where he doesn't, you know, you know, he's it's not like he's he's not skinny or anything, but he just doesn't look like the type of guy that would have uh, the strength that he has. Uh, you know, he uh, he won the fitness testing, uh, you know, the overall fitness testing that year that I had played with them. So. Uh, I, I really didn't, you know, the speed, obviously, um, the conditioning, obviously, just uh, I would say the thing that surprised me the most was uh, the strength that he has. And how about Leon Dreisaitl? I mean, this guy, I, I still think around the league people might underestimate how good he is. Uh, what did you think about his playing, uh, you know, when it comes to him playing with McDavid? Are you on the side, you like to see them on the same line, or do you think they can go on, on different lines for the, uh, maybe even the, the length of a full season? Yeah, I you know I love, absolutely love Leon uh, as a person and as a player. He is incredible. Uh, he's an incredible player. 
just I don't know up to this point how he can still be underrated, but uh, I think you know I think it's getting to the point now where everyone's starting to realize okay maybe uh, maybe we should start uh, taking him a little more seriously. But uh, yeah, just uh, uh, that's a tough question. I I do I do think the team uh, can benefit more from having them five on five, uh, you know, run their own lines. Um, you know, and I guess when, you know, if it, in a game, if it comes to, you know, later on getting the third period, we're down a goal, you, you always have that option to put them together. But I think in the long run, it, it, it is more beneficial to have them uh, have them running their own lines because uh, they're both obviously extremely more than capable of doing that. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, those two together uh, is a lethal combination and it seems like every time they're on the ice together, uh, something's getting done. So it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun to watch. Kyle, just a couple more questions for you. I really appreciate you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Last year, with the trade to Detroit, obviously you were on the LTIR. Uh, did, did anything change for you at that one? Like, did you get a message from the Red Wings? They send you a hat or anything? No, no, nothing changed with that, no. Uh, the only thing that changed was basically a little more paperwork. Uh, it was, you know, I found out... Um, it, when did I find out? I think it was on a Sunday night. Uh, my wife and I were going to Mexico uh, for a vacation on Monday morning. Um, so obviously, the first the first questions I was asking, uh, you know, is this changing anything? Uh, you know, the Red Wings assured me that there was nothing uh, nothing to worry about. All the paperwork stuff I can just take care of when I got back, and that's uh, you know that was uh, you know. I think it was just kind of a paper, uh, you know, a paper transaction to, uh, you know, the Oilers obviously wanted my salary off the books. And, uh, yeah, so I don't think there was anything uh, too much more to it than that. Kyle, I threw it out there on Twitter. I just said, uh, having you on the podcast, any questions I should ask them, let me know. And a few came in. I had a few sent into my DMs. This one comes from at 21Johnny underscore. He asks, if Greater Than Giants is still your favorite band, and if so, can you get him an autograph from Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. They're still my favorite band. I wish they were still together, but uh, no, no, they're uh, they're not playing together anymore. Uh, that's uh, you know, for the people who don't know, Greater Than Giants was uh, a band that my brother Ryan was in. Uh, you know, I got to got to see him a few times play live, and you know, I wish I could have seen him more, but. Uh, those are the times where, uh, you know, I was I was uh, living in Minnesota, I believe, for uh, away from home. So I wish I could have seen him more. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, he's he's going to be. A, uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing him soon. So uh, if if uh, you know, I, I think it'll be. I don't think it'll be too much of an issue to get an autograph for sure. <laughs> so yeah. did you get into music at all? Did you, were you a musician growing up? Uh, I, you know, I tried uh, a little bit. Uh, I, I, my, the first instrument I ever, well, I, actually I played, uh, I played a lot of piano when I was a kid. I think I played piano for six years. Um, you know, my mom kind of, kind of, uh, pushed us into doing that. And, uh, and then when I was, uh, when I was in my early teens, uh, I remember buying a bass guitar, playing that for a few years. Uh, just kind of self-taught. I uh, didn't really take any lessons or anything. And, uh, and I've always kind of played a little bit of guitar, but, um, you know, I, I pretty much hit a standstill at that where if I, wanted, if I wanted to advance any further, I'm going to need to take lessons. So I haven't, uh, I haven't learned anything new on the guitar in probably about 15 years. So 
so yeah, that's I, I do like to pick it up once in a while, but just not not very often. That's awesome. Another question here asking favorite restaurant in the city? Local omnivore. Okay. That's uh, that's also uh, that's what my brother Ryan's doing now. He's uh, he's part owner of the local omnivore restaurant and uh, just unreal burgers and poutine. It's my favorite for sure. Awesome. Well, <laughs> got to check that out. It sounds pretty good. Uh, when you were playing, any game day routines that you had? Um, game day routine. I got a funny one. Uh, Tom Gilbert and I used to. Uh, when we were playing for the Oilers, actually, it started when we played in Wilkesbury together. Uh, our pregame meal—it wasn't the traditional chicken and pasta like everybody else eats. Uh, we would go to a breakfast restaurant and just—I um, can't remember what the, what it was called in uh, in Wilkesbury. Oh, my wife says Bob Evans. Bob Evans <laughs> restaurant was where we started there, and then uh, I think when we uh, came to Edmonton, it, it switched to Ricky's. So we used to go to the Ricky's Diner or Denny's and just get a huge breakfast meal for our pregame. Oh, most important meal of the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle, one question here, just saying, how's the back feeling and how's retirement going so far for you? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I have, uh, you know, basically with, with my back, I, I you know, I, I kind of re-aggravated it uh, last year around November. Uh, and it took me a few months to kind of come out of that. Uh, so basically, I have kind of a regiment that I that I try to stick to. Uh, just basically, have to do uh, you know a few times a week some core exercises. Uh, I just have to keep keep uh, keep that area strong. Otherwise, you know, I notice after a few days of uh, a few days of not doing anything, it uh, it gets pretty pretty vulnerable. And I can tell when you know when it's getting close. If I lift something heavy, that. Uh, that I can hurt it again. So I, I just got to make sure to stay on top of that. And uh, when I do, then I feel good. So, uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, things are good. I'm uh, enjoying time home, time at home with my family, and uh, you know, something that I haven't uh, had a whole lot of, uh, a lot of chance to do. Uh, obviously, when you're playing, you're uh, being gone so much. So it's been, uh, it's been, uh, it's been great to be at home. It's really good to hear. I'm glad to hear the backs doing well as well. Uh, final question for you. World's longest game coming up. I know this is something that's been going on in the city for almost 20 years. I think back in 2003 was the first one. A great way to raise money for cancer. Uh, what got you involved in the game that's coming up later on in February? Yeah, I got uh, yeah, a buddy of mine from, from Vegreville, Dennis Karmanitsky, uh, who's also playing in the game. Uh, he had reached out a, a couple weeks ago uh, and just asked if I'd be interested uh, in playing in the game. Uh, yeah, you know what? At first, I... I wasn't really sure I, I didn't really know you know I didn't know a whole lot about it or uh you know just the kind of the thought of it is a, is a little bit scary but uh you know after about a day of thinking about it I you know I thought I'm, this is this is a no-brainer this is something that I have to participate in and uh now I'm just you know very grateful that that they asked me and I'm just really excited and really looking forward to uh, participating in it. Have you reached out to anyone for some advice? I know uh, Jason Greger took part. Uh, Dustin Nielsen from our morning show here at TSN 1260 also took part in the event. Uh, any any questions for those guys? Uh, yeah, you know what? I I don't really have too many questions. Uh, just uh, basically since I since I signed up, there's uh, you know there's group emails going out all the time about uh, you know guys that have played in it previously, what to expect. Um, you know. Uh, 
shopping list basically of everything you're going to need. Um, yeah, I think the main, you know, the, what guys talk about are the main problems are uh, with your feet. I guess getting frostbite or blisters on your feet is a main concern. So uh, they have tricks to, uh, you know, to help uh, prevent that. And I guess uh, hip flexors is another one uh, where guys' hip flexors get so tight that you know it makes it difficult to skate. So, so yeah, there's just uh, you know a lot of a lot of maintenance things that we're going to be uh, having to do to to make sure that we make it through the the 12 days. And uh, yeah, like I said, though, I'm really really looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, it's a really cool event. Uh, the last few years, I've had a chance to come down and watch for a little bit. So best of luck there, people. If you want to donate, worldslongestgame.ca. It's very simple. Check out the website. You can go do- donate there. And, Kyle, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you again for having me. Kyle Brodziak, former member of the Edmonton Oilers, of course, drafted by the club back in 2003. A seventh-round selection goes on to play over 900 games in the NHL. Just an amazing career. And we thank Kyle for coming on the podcast today. Of course, he's also taking part in the world's longest hockey game. So if you'd like to donate to that, you can give him a follow on Twitter at Brodziak underscore Kyle. Or just head over to worldslongestgame.ca. You can send your money there as well. Of course, the Edmonton Oilers are back in action Wednesday night, taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that's won two straight as they beat the Winnipeg Jets Monday night. They also defeated the Ottawa Senators 3-2 this past Saturday. We're going to bring in Andy Petrillo from Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. You can also watch this show on TV on TSN 4. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? I am doing very good. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the other Connor podcast here. Of course, the Oilers and the Leafs meeting on Wednesday and Friday. So I got to get your thoughts on a lot of things regarding the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I want to start with the offseason and, of course, the Maple Leafs bringing in some big names. So I'll just go through them. And if you could just give me your thoughts on how they've adapted and playing so far for the new team. And we got to start off with Joe Thornton. You know, holding his own. Um, a lot of people wondered if he'd be able to um, keep up the, the type of minutes that Sheldon Keith was going to expect of him, which, you know, we knew weren't going to be Marner Matthews minutes, the guys uh, whose line he's on, but he's still playing more than he did last year and, you know, picked up his uh, his first Leafs goal the other night. So I would say holding his own and looking, it doesn't look out of place, looking good. And he seems like a guy that's just kind of very lovable and f- could fit into almost any room in the NHL. How big has his role been off the ice? Oh, the guys have just been singing his praises, which is something that we expected. I mean, um, he's he's the old school kind of hockey guy in that he's walking in there right down to not having social media, so not being affected, you know, by what strangers say about him, um, you know, to just being pretty laid back and loving the game. You know, he's, he's there all the time, right? If, even if it's an optional skate, he's there. I mean, that's just what he's used to. That's what he's accustomed to. It's just kind of like the good old hockey, um, you know, mentality and just the just the, the, the steps that he goes through to get ready for games is pretty much how we've known hockey players to, to do that. So, you know, he leads by example. And it's just, it's so funny. Like, I know it's so random, but it's one of these things, too, like today, uh, before the Toronto Maple Leafs took on the Winnipeg Jets, they always put out the arrival photos of the guys. You have all these guys, you know, they're showing up in their slick suits, they're looking good. And then there's the photo of Joe. He's got a hockey stick in his hand and his photo ID around his neck. Like, you know, like nobody's going to know who he is, right? But, um, 
just, you know, it's just these, like these little things that kind of make you chuckle. Just so down to earth, right? So he's been pretty awesome off the ice, too. How about Wayne Simmons? Uh, I think we all know he got to the big fight against the Canadians, helped motivate the team, get them back into it. But for a team that's loaded with skill, what has Wayne Simmons brought to the group? Well, just that. And he, he hasn't looked at a place either. It's not like he's running around, hitting bodies, trying to pick fights, and is not holding his own on the ice in a five-on-five situation either. Um, also getting time on the number one power play unit as well. He's, he's just not looking at a place. He's not looking like he's forcing truculence just for the sake of it. You know, in that Montreal game, I think we all felt that it was coming. Uh, the Leafs were really slow. They were dragging their heels, and you just you knew that it was the right moment for him to you know drop the gloves and kind of get that emotion going. But then in the follow-up game against the Ottawa Senators on Friday, where the Leafs were you know just as poor again, like when the Ottawa Senators were just the faster team, they were the better team, they were the team that just wanted it more, and it was so obvious. And even though you know he got into some after whistle tussles, it's you know he didn't go and drop the gloves again because you can't do that each and every time. Like you know he's not going to. He's not going to go full throttle like that all the time. He's going to pick his spots because he's a veteran and he knows when to do that. Uh, but again, I mean, this is uh, this is a guy who gets power play time and you know is still relied upon five on five and you know just holds his own and, and doesn't look out of place either. Is that something the Maple Leafs were missing perhaps in the last couple seasons? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, it's such a difficult role to fill. I think on any team, right? But in particular. If you're talking the Leafs, um, where that was really a focal point was that tough guy, right? And I, and I know that, you know, a couple of years ago they had brought in Matt Martin, and a lot of people were excited about that, but Matt Martin really had limited shifts, and he did not play on the special teams. So it, it's still that, um, even though you bring a guy into the room, and if you want him to have an impact, you still need to uh, give him the opportunity to have an impact on the ice as well. And I think that's the difference here with, with Wayne Simmons, which is why I say, like, this is a really good player that Sheldon Keith can rely on, that he could put out on the ice. He gets special team time, you know, and, again, he doesn't get the most minutes. He's still a fourth-line player, um, but he, he's somebody who can have an impact on the ice. Uh, not just off the ice. And and I think that really matters to, to this young team for sure. Same thing with Joe Thornton, right? You can say he's important off the ice and just the culture that he's going to help spread. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but I think Keith knew that he also needed to have a pretty significant role on the ice, which is, you know, wise with Matthews and Marner too. So, you know, credit to the coach for putting these guys um, in situations where they can be impactful in a game because I think then it gives them a louder voice in the room. A guy who Oilers fans are quite familiar with, TJ Brody, coming over from the Calgary Flames this past offseason. How's he looked on that top pairing with Morgan Riley? Okay, is probably what I'd say. Um, right, I think I think he's even realizing just how fast his teammates are. Right, because like a few times he's uh, he's looked a little slower. I'll you know I'll be I'll be honest. Um, and but I'm willing to give a pass. I think everyone's willing to give a pass. Right, it's a new guy who's come on board, and even though. From what I kept hearing about Calgary Media, he's a quiet guy. He does his own thing, walks to the beat of his own drum. Uh, and yes, we're in a pandemic, so it's not like he has 20 cameras, you know, and reporters standing around him after every practice and game. But I mean, you you really have to be out to lunch um, to not feel the um, you know the pressure in Toronto and just the storyline around it. It's not just pressure in Toronto; it's the pressure in that 
specific position, right? Defenseman, blue line, Morgan Riley's partner, uh, which seems to have been an enigma all these years. Like we can't find the partner for Morgan Riley. So he knows all the storylines around that. But um, I would say the last two games, so Saturday, their bounce-back game against Ottawa, he looked much better. And then even tonight, um, already in their 3-1 win against the Winnipeg Jets, he looked so much better. Um, and, again, expected. He needs to figure out Morgan Riley. Morgan Riley needs to figure out him, but not just, you know, defensive partners. He just needs to figure out his forwards, who likes a pass when and where, right? So I think that takes some time, but already here we are, uh, games three and four of the season, and he's, he's been looking better definitely than he did in games one and two. You mentioned tonight's win over the Winnipeg Jets, 3-1. Mitch Marner had a couple goals. John Tavares continuing his hot play as of late. Uh, how do they look in the victory? You, oh, they looked really good. Um, you know, for, first, a little boring, uh, but I think that, you know, you have to give credit to um, a Toronto Maple Leaf side as well, who can very much get caught up in run-and-gun um, hockey. But, you know, it was it was pretty much controlled in the first. In the second, I believe it was over 10 minutes in um, before the Winnipeg Jets were able to get a shot on net, and that was on a power play. So defensively, the Leafs just looked that much more solid. I mean, yes, it's always nice when your big-name players score, uh, you get guys like Marner and Tavares on the score sheet. But uh, more than anything, you know, people just look at the – it's not as sexy to talk about, right? But they really do look at the defensive game of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Freddie Anderson looked sharp. Um, people are going to be hard on him just because he's, you know, a perennial slow starter. But then, of course, you look at the playoffs. He's always just like – even though he's been, I would say, overall solid – He's always let in that goal at the worst timing ever. So, of course, that's what's at the forefront of everyone's mind. And he's in a contract year. Um, so after Jack Campbell's performance on Saturday, okay, recency bias, everyone, you know, Leafs Nation was like, ah, you got to start Campbell again, you know, on Monday. Um, and credit to the Leafs, so I really feel like Sheldon Keith, his communication, I think, has just been A++. Like, he you know, he, he communicates with the media so bluntly, and you know he's speaking just as matter-of-factly with his players, but he came right out and he's like, I don't want any of this business. There is no controversy. He's our number one guy, and just accept that. We're going to go to him, right? Like, that is it, kind of, you know, end of sentence, period, exclamation mark, whatever, you know, start a new paragraph. So I think that also helped Freddie, but he looked great tonight, too. So more importantly, defensively holding off the Jets, granted, no Patrick Line in the lineup. You wonder how different that would have looked, but they still got Kyle Connor and Shifley. You know, by no means do they not have uh, – some firepower up front, but defensively, they were really good in holding them, um, holding them at bay for most of the night. And then Freddie looked really sharp. Andy, what were your thoughts on Miko Lettinen making his debut for the team? Um, I, I feel like I'm using, I'm going to use this phrase a lot, just like <laughs> the NHL is probably going to overuse the phrase "an abundance of caution." Um, he didn't look out of place. He, he just he did not look out of place. Uh, obviously, his ice time uh, was limited as expected. He went on in as the seventh D. And even though he was the big signing as well, I would say probably after T.J. Brody, he was the other defense. Like, everyone was getting excited about him, you know, even more so than Zach Bogosian because of all the points that he was putting up, um, you know, in the KHL. But, you know, again, I think he needs to get used to or just get a little bit more comfortable. Again, KHL, I think he was putting up 20 minutes or so uh, playing on special teams. And then here, you know, he doesn't obviously he just puts up a, you know, a under 10 and, um, is kind of just watching and got a little bit of, of power play time. We expected that. 
But really, I think tonight's game was him watching, learning, and the fact that he didn't look out of place, and I barely heard his name. As we know, that's what every defenseman says. If you didn't hear my name, that meant I had a good game. Uh, I think that was uh, pretty solid for him. For Oilers fans, what can they expect out of this Maple Leafs team with Sheldon Keefe going into his first full season as head coach? Uh, well, I mean, I think you can expect what we've always known them to be, which is a highly skilled team um, and a, a very fast team. But I also think this is a team right now um, where he's not afraid to, it's, it's a good old saying, right, kind of take out the blender. So you really don't know uh, who you're going to go up against. You may think, okay, this is the least line. Like even tonight, even though we always knew that there would be a rotation on that left side for Matthews and Marner, you know, one time it was Hyman. One time it was, you know, Mikheyev. Um, one time it was like, you know, Simmons jumping on up. Like it's just, it always rotates that you don't even know what a line is going to look like. He's not afraid to change things up. Um, so that's one thing. And you're going to expect a pretty potent power play. Um, you know, back to back ones, you know, one and two power play units are pretty strong. And right now, you know, especially with the way John Tavares has been playing, their number two unit has actually looked even scarier right now than their number one unit. But this is a team you don't want to take a penalty against um, because they're just they're looking so sharp. Manny Maholtra coming on over, um, really giving it a creative kick that Austin Matthews begged for even a couple years ago um, because you just don't know who the power play is going to run through. Before, it was so obvious it was through Marner. Then after that, it's so obvious it was through Austin Matthews. Now, it's anyone on any given night. And um, so I would definitely say, you know, the same old Leafs as far as speed and skill goes, but also you just don't know because he's not afraid to take out the blender on line. Um, So the matchup game becomes difficult, and don't take a penalty against this team. Andy, just one final question for you with uh, Frederick Anderson getting the start tonight up against Winnipeg and then games on Wednesday and Friday. Do you expect him to get the starts both nights or is it a chance to get Jack Campbell out there? Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, with this type of schedule, it, it's really anyone's guess. But one thing that Sheldon Keith did say when they had the back-to-backs against Ottawa, uh, even though he'd confirmed Jack Campbell got the start on the Saturday, he's like, don't always expect it to be that way. This isn't you know, an 82-game season where your backup typically gets the second on back-to-back nights. Um, he goes, that's, that's not always going to be the case. Like, if Freddie's good to go, if he feels good to go, then we're just going to keep playing him. So there's, yeah, there's a real good chance he would most definitely get, you know, both those games. There's a chance he's going to get, you know, back-to-backs, whereas in the past he hasn't. So, you know, I do think it's kind of, if anyone's guess, um, because I think that is a conversation that Sheldon Keith is really going to rely on on having with Freddie Anderson and making sure that, you know, Freddie is being honest with him. Um, and, uh, but yeah, for sure. I mean, why wouldn't he, right? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he get that? Uh, 56 game schedule, just go on out, just get her done if you can. Um, you know, Freddie wants to play. You also know he has a contract that he's playing for. So I think the communication between him, him and the coach will really dictate a lot. But, um, yeah, I, I just, again, I just wouldn't be surprised if we did see him for both those games. Great stuff, Andy. Thanks so much for doing this today. All right. Thanks for having me. That is Andy Patrill of TSN 1050 out in Montreal, the host of Leafs Lunch. You can watch her on TSN for Monday through Friday. Also tune in online if you so please. And that's going to wrap it up for another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Great show. Got to thank everyone who hopped on. Matthew Onick of TSN. 
Former Edmonton Oiler and NHLer Kyle Brodziak, a reminder, he is taking part in the world's longest hockey game. Go to worldslongestgame.ca to donate now. They're raising a lot of money for cancer research. And also a big thanks to Andy Petrillo of TSN 1050 out in Toronto, breaking down the Toronto Maple Leafs as the Edmonton Oilers get set to take them on Wednesday and Friday. Both games, 5 o'clock puck drop, Mountain Time. Uh, if you are looking for some pregame coverage, tune into TSN 1260. Myself, Tom Gazzola, Jason Greger, Jason Strudwick will break it all down both days starting at 4 o'clock Mountain Time on TSN 1260. And one more shout-out to the fine folks at DraftKings. This weekend, do not forget, the return we have all been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon stepping back into the octagon this Saturday. Be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right, new users can bet $1 on Conor McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and if he does, he'll be cashing in $257. Bet a little, win a lot. It's that simple. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $257. If McGregor wins by knockout in the first round, place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code THPN for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first round knockout for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. I just got into DraftKings a couple weeks ago, actually, and I'm absolutely loving it. A little ticked off that Leon Dreisaitl couldn't, you know, pot a goal tonight. That might have put me in the money, but unfortunately, it was not meant to be, of course. Uh, What can you do? Once again, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.